America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Richard Haas is a distinguished uh, diplomat, foreign policy expert, uh, graduate Rhodes Scholar from Oxford University, uh, though a New Yorker originally. He is uh, also, for many, many years, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations. He's now president emeritus. He says the real danger to the United States is not any foreign power. The real danger to the United States is us and the current collapse of our political system. So what do we do about it? We'll be speaking to Richard Haas coming up on the Michael Medved Show. He's experienced... Uh, foreign policy positions and important ones in four different administrations, three of them for Republican presidents. He is uh, not by any means a left-winger, describes himself as a conservative, though uh, concerned, as many are, about the direction of uh, the Republican Party. Speaking of which, uh, there is a breaking news about prosecutors working for Jack Smith, the special counsel who has twice brought indictments against former President Donald J. Trump, obtaining a uh, search warrant early this year for Mr. Trump's long dormant Twitter account as part of their inquiry into his attempt to overturn the 2020 election. According to pa uh, court papers unsealed today, the uh, warrant, which was signed by a federal judge in Washington in January after Elon Musk took over Twitter, which is now called X, is the first known example of prosecutors directly searching Mr. Trump's communications and adds a, a new dimension to the scope of the special counsel's efforts to investigate the former president. Look, if uh, you're trying to figure out what the president had in mind for January 6th, uh, he clearly wanted to stop the certification of the election. How did he have in mind to stop it? That's one of the things that seems to me they are very likely investigating in, uh, in this effort. Uh, speaking of uh, this effort, there is a piece in Axios that says, a poll shows Americans love world leaders more than their own. Republicans and Democrats alike are bigger fans of Prince William and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky than many of our own political leaders in who Gallup poll shows. Why it matters, hyperpartisan politics have sullied the reputations of U.S. political leaders from President Biden to Speaker McCarthy to Attorney General Merrick Garland. They're all held in negative repute by people at large. First Lady Jill Biden and the Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice John Roberts were the only two Americans on the survey to score positive ratings. So none of the presidential candidates or potential presidential candidates for either side is positive. The, after nearly 250 years of independence, Americans seem to pine for England. Both uh, Prince William and King Charles III of the United Kingdom enjoy relatively high and bipartisan favorability with Americans. 
You rarely see this kind of agreement in U.S. polls. Prince William is beloved by 65% of Republicans and 63% of Democrats. Uh, why? He seems like a nice guy. I, I'll tell you one thing that I, I have heard and never even occurred to me, but uh, Prince William is a young guy, obviously very dashing, handsome guy. He's the son of uh, Princess Diana. Uh, may she rest in peace. And uh, he is not vain about his bald spot. I mean, he is a balding guy. And I think that probably adds to the sense of sincerity and popularity that uh, Prince William may have. Uh, Ukraine Zelensky is favored by half of Republicans, but he's even more popular with Democrats, 75%. Um, in terms of American leaders, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries is in a familiar position for new congressional leaders. He's the most unknown of the 15 public figures in the poll, with 37% of respondings, uh, respondents saying they've never heard of them. Or they have no opinion. McCarthy trails former President Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis among Republicans. 67% view the speaker favorably compared to 76% for DeSantis and 83% for Trump among Republicans. McCarthy is seen favorably by nearly one in five Democrats. Well, that's something of a surprise. There's also... Another item that was sent to me that I find fascinating, which is betting odds from predicted.org. And uh, this shows you how the betting markets actually are running. And they are running that uh, Kamala Harris uh, is a, uh, the odds for her winning the presidency are 4%, 4 cents on the dollar. Uh, Ron DeSantis, 11%. Gavin Newsom, is, uh, who's not announced a candidacy, is doing better than Ron DeSantis. He's at 14%. Uh, Donald Trump, 29 cents on the dollar. And uh, Joe Biden, the heavy favorite. Uh, of course, he has no fight at all at the moment for the nomination. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, 46%. Uh, with uh, all this going on, uh, there's more about a, a new accusation of a scandal involving a public figure who's about to make news uh, probably next week. But Fawny Willis, who is the elected uh, district attorney in Georgia, who is looking at a uh, fairly comprehensive state uh, indictments for President Trump and a bunch of his associates. Uh, she became the object of uh, some remarks by President Trump during his appearance in New Hampshire. A little bit unusual for somebody running for president. Here is uh, President Trump's comments. Waited. And I probably have another one. They say there's a young woman, uh, a young racist in Atlanta. Say racist. And they say, I guess, they say that 
She was after a certain gang, and she ended up having an affair with the head of the gang or a gang member. And this is a person that wants to indict me. She's got a lot of problems. Okay, she's got a lot of problems there. By the way, um, there are about 20 different sources that have reported on this story about, uh, for instance, the Daily Mail in Britain. Trump claims Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis had an affair with the head of a criminal gang ahead of a probable fourth indictment in Georgia. He says we'll secure his 2024 win. Uh Donald Trump claimed the Fulton County District Attorney is expected to slap him with a fourth indictment, is having an affair with a gang member in a wild tirade in New Hampshire yesterday. They say there's a young woman, a young racist in Atlanta, and they say, I guess, that she was after a certain gang. She ended up having an affair with the head of the gang or a gang member, uh, Trump uh, claimed. This is a person who wants to indict me. She's got a lot of problems, but she wants to try to indict me for some other office. Wants to indict me for a perfect phone call. This is even better than my perfect phone call with Ukraine, he added, referring to his call with Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in uh, Georgia. Uh, we will get back to that, get back to the idea that America's real danger is the public at home and then the question of narrowing down the choice for trump's running mate we'll get to that and more coming up on the medved show the michael medved show And on the Michael Medved show, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal, and it, it's a piece that I, I think is fair enough, because right now the odds do look very large uh, that uh, in Trump's favor that he will be the Republican nominee. The idea that he would beat Joe Biden in what will clearly be a... Uh, a, a very spirited, very probably very bitter and angry and negative election by uh, two people, neither of whom are tremendously popular among the nation at large. Uh, yes, it will be all of that, but uh, Trump is likely to be the GOP nominee. And the question is, who does he pick to join his ticket? And uh, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal by Eliza Collins and Shobin Hughes. And they write, former President Donald Trump and many of his supporters say he has locked up the race for the Republican nomination, even with the first contest months away. Uh, that has prompted early jockeying among top Republicans to potentially be his running mate. Possible vice presidential candidates range from uh, staunch loyalists in Congress, such as Representative Elise Stefanik of New York and Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, to other popular party figures. Is, is Marjorie Taylor Greene really a popular party figure? Well, they say so. Um, the uh, other popular party figures, including... Former Arizona television host Carrie Lake, 
One prominent critic, Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina, has been uh, warming to the idea of supporting Trump and serving alongside him, people familiar with her thinking say. Now, she is somebody who Trump opposed for re-election. He uh, favored a more Trumpy loyalist in the primary against her. So that would be quite a switch if she ends up on the ticket with him. Uh, Trump has also indicated uh, he could tap a current 2024 rival for the job. He hasn't committed to attending the first GOP presidential debate uh, later this month and posted on social media, let them debate so I can see who I might consider for vice president. Uh, a decision could be nearly a year away, as Trump and other nominees have typically picked their running mates ahead of the summer party conventions. Some hopefuls are working to prove their support for Trump as he faces several indictments, including one this month over his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Some are juggling their own ambitions for other jobs while signaling they remain open to a spot on the 2024 ticket should the opportunity arise. Uh, Lake, that would be Carrie Lake, the TV anchor who narrowly lost her 2020 bid for governor of Arizona, is expected to announce a run for Senate this fall. But uh, she would agree to be Trump's running mate and skip the Senate bid if he... Uh, asked according to people familiar with the thinking. By the way, there is also out today a, uh, an, a new piece in Newsweek by Catherine Fung. It says, Carrie Lake Senate run gets new boost. Uh, she is way ahead uh, as a Republican primary candidate. She has a real problem, however, because she would be running against both Kristen Sinema, who is officially an independent now, and uh, Ruben Gallego, Gallego, who is going to be a member of Congress in Arizona, who's going to be the Democratic candidate, and who, according to the three-way polling, uh, Carrie Lake and Kirsten Sinema would divide the moderate and conservative votes, and Gallego would end up winning with most of the liberal votes. In any event, it uh, says that... Um, Lake has been traveling the country this year pushing the pro-Trump agenda and claims of fraud in her 22 election loss to crowds of supporters. She also recently said that it's time for all of Trump's opponents to drop out and rally behind him to support him in his legal struggles. Uh, a straw poll at a recent Turning Point action gathering of conservative activists had Carrie Lake as the top pick for vice president with just under a third of the vote. Lake's advisors have started interviewing potential staff for a Senate run, and she has started to indicate publicly that she is likely to get into that race, according to people familiar. Uh, even if she runs for Senate, that wouldn't rule out her pivoting to the vice presidential spot especially because I think she would have an uphill struggle for the Senate seat. Uh, <clears throat> they continue that uh, she has previously said she would do whatever Trump asked of her, and she recently tweeted that Representative Byron Donalds, Republican Florida, 
who played a role in the House Speaker fight, quote, would be great, great in capital letters, as Trump's running mate. Donald's, who came in second in the straw poll with 24% of the attendees of the Turning Point Action event, said, it's cool, it's like an honor to be a favorite with activists, but he hadn't heard anything from Trump's inner circle. One person unlikely to be interested in the job, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Now, I wish they would point out that he can't be interested in the job because it would put two Floridians on the ticket, and that's a constitutional problem. Uh, he said recently, Ron DeSantis, I don't want Veep. I'm running to win. Also not in the uh, running Trump's pick for his first two campaigns, uh, Mike Pence, who has condemned Trump's actions related to the January 6th to 2021 Capitol riot. Uh, and in fact, uh, there is a new Mike Pence ad that tries to establish some of the differences between the former vice president and his former partner on the ticket. We'll get to that. But the uh, analysis here continues that uh, uh, the uh, uh, Mike Pence, very unlikely to be uh, on the ticket with uh, Trump again. I don't think he would even think about taking it. But Elise Stefanik, who, as the number three House Republican, is in charge of messaging, is interested in being selected for the role, according to two people familiar with her thinking. I'd be honored to serve in the Trump administration, said Stefanik, who likes to note she is the highest-ranking GOP official in Congress to endorse the former president. She said she talks to Trump almost weekly, but regarding the VP job, she said, we have not discussed it. Uh, and, and then there is Marjorie Taylor Greene. What's interesting is they don't mention any of the male possibilities. People like Vivek Ramaswamy, who Trump has said positive things about, and people like Tim Scott, uh, though he has said he's not interested. Uh, meanwhile, are you interested in the future of the American Republican American democracy? If you are, we have a domestic threat that is more real than the foreign threats even. We'll talk about that with Richard Haas coming up on The MedVet Show. Michael Medved show there was an important uh, interview in uh, New York Times just a couple of weeks ago with uh, Richard Haas who is somebody who has a deep experience as a foreign policy aide or a part of the diplomatic corps in four different administrations three of them for Republican presidents he is the president emeritus of the Council on Foreign Relations where he served with great distinction for many years he is also the author of a marvelous new book, which we've talked about before. It is called The Bill of Obligations, The Ten Habits of Good Citizens. He is also the author of the Substack newsletter, Home and Away. Um, uh, Mr. Haas, it's a pleasure to speak to you again, and thank you for coming back to the show. Your 
interview with the New York Times is headlined to foreign policy veteran the real danger is at home and then y you talk in this interview about uh, all of the things that America has experienced that have been divisive and and dangerous and destructive for our country over the last hundred years whether it's uh, uh, Jim Crow or uh, the Vietnam War or civil rights or urban riots but you believe that the current period is worse it's a threat to the system to the fabric of our country what makes it worse well first of all thanks for having me back and thanks for that extraordinarily generous uh, introduction I hope uh, I do well enough today that I show I deserved it uh, in terms <laughs> of, of in terms of uh, what you raise, I do think this is qualitatively different. A lot of the other times we've been divided in our country, and there have been many, and let's put aside the, the Civil War, uh, as sui generis, the, the divisions were over policies, Vietnam, uh, whether to stay in or, or get out or escalate or, or what have you, over various aspects of, of civil rights. Or, or any number of differences over abortion or, or guns or whatever, but these are policy differences. I think what's different now is the degree of polarization that, one, makes it very hard to address these policy differences in a constructive way. Compromise uh, has become extraordinarily uh, difficult, but also we're beginning to see behaviors, statements and behaviors, that go beyond policy differences. They actually are, they do constitute in many ways challenges or even threats to, to what you fairly described as the system, to the workings of American democracy uh, it, itself. And I think that's what's qualitatively qualitatively different about the, about the current moment. Uh, let me share a quote with you. It's a quote from a uh, speech that uh, recently delivered on the campaign trail by President Trump. He said, they want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. They want to silence me because I will never let them silence you. Uh, is that the kind of rhetoric that you're talking about? Well, again, I think he's mischaracterizing his situation. No one's taking away his First Amendment rights, but we've always had limits. Uh, and to use the cliche, uh, you can stand on a street corner and say something about fire, but you can't shout it in a crowded theater. And the problem with Mr. Mr. Trump is you know, that he's acting on some of the things he's saying. He's encouraging action, I think, or he has in the past encouraged action that constitute uh, conspiracy. Again, I'm not a, a lawyer, but I think it's important to distinguish between First Amendment rights uh, and then where you cross certain lines, either morally or legally. By the way, I think the moral line is important, too. Ron DeSantis the other day talking about if he gets in, the first thing he's going to do is uh, slit the throats of the deep state. Uh, that seems to me uh, is a degree of, uh, shall we say, license that's truly offensive. It discourages anybody talented from going into government or staying there. And I think it could, at worst, uh, worst yet, encourage violence against, uh, against in individuals. So I think, I think people in the public space, put aside the legal issues, 
simply have, uh, to use my favorite word, have obligations to speak about uh, public life in a way that doesn't escalate every every dis every difference, either into gridlock or worse yet, violence. Well, I, I, when I hear they want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom, uh, who, who they is, of course, remains undetermined, but yeah. presumably it means, quote, the crooked Biden crime family, mm -hmm. in quotes, yeah. uh, the other side. But the, the notion that, that there are millions and millions of Americans who really believe that the other side wants to take away our freedom, it's yeah. uh, been really since the, uh, the Civil War that, that that has been widely believed, isn't it? It's gotten worse. I think social media reinforces it, whether it's anonymity, uh, which allows people to be uh, extreme. I think the fact that we have very few common experiences anymore, not only we don't have a draft, but you know, increasingly Americans watch their own cable stations or go on their own social media sites or they don't, they don't move much from their own geography. Uh, people don't have a lot of connections to uh, other people. So uh, I think it's getting, I think it's gotten worse. I'm not saying we haven't had some of this in, in uh, the past, but you can't, it's very hard, for example, to have a serious conversation about, choose one area, guns. Well, I might say it's fine to hold, to be able to buy uh, guns as many as you want, but uh, certain types of automatic weapons, AR-15s, are not the kinds of weapons we ought to have on our, our streets. Why can't one argue that? and not be accused of trying to take away our gun rights, or this is just the thin end of the wedge. Uh, it makes it very hard to have a serious conversation if people are going to say, we're trying to take away, confiscate everybody's guns. No, we may simply want to have certain limits on who can acquire guns, given histories of mental illness, or the kinds of guns. You, know, we don't make a, you and I can't go out and buy an F-16 and keep parking in our backyard. We can't go out and buy <laughs> a weapon. We can't afford it either. That's a good point too, uh, particularly with these interest rates. So right. the so we already have certain limits on the type of weaponry individuals can and uh, can possess. So let's let's have a serious conversation about who can possess what. And that's the, it. Doesn't have to be all or nothing. Uh, same thing with abortion. It doesn't need to be all or nothing. We can have a serious conversation about viability and where, 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 where one can draw a compromise between no limits on abortion and no abortion. And it's just gotten harder to have these debates to search out a reasonable middle ground. Uh, well, uh, when, when we um, uh, come back, I, I'd like to try to expand this conversation as to how you have those reasonable debates because there are also increasingly bitter disagreements about policy toward Ukraine uh, and uh, policy regarding the Middle East. Uh, new news about President Biden uh, apparently getting some backing from Prime Minister Netanyahu, who is uh, dropping in the process of dropping the alleged judicial reform that his government was involved with and trying to concentrate on now a new alliance involving Saudi Arabia that the United States would strongly support. Uh, we'll get to the questions of realism on these foreign policy issues uh, and on China and defending the interests and liberty of Taiwan and much more 
uh, with Richard Haas. His uh, new book uh, is posted on our website at michaelmedved.com, The Bill of Obligations. Get it? Not the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Obligations, the Ten Habits of Good Citizens. We'll be right back with Richard Haas. The Michael Medved Show all across America. It's an honor to talk to you because I think you have the best talk show in the, in the United States. Thank um, you. I agree. This is The Michael Medved Show. with the very eminent and distinguished and wise Richard Haas and a patriotic Richard Haas, the author of the new book of the Bill of Obligations, The Ten Habits of Good Citizens. He is also the author of the Substack newsletter, Home and Away. Uh, Richard, it, it's uh, such a peculiar time where... There are foreign policy issues the America is facing, including the biggest war in Europe since World War II, and uh, a, a continued problems in the Middle East and uh, potential rivalry with China. With all of that, uh, I, I know you're commonly asked because you've said this before. People ask you all the time, "What keeps you up at night?" Uh, concerning the uh the the problems that the country is facing right now and the challenges particularly challenges from abroad what is the most menacing or the most destructive to sound and blissful sleep in terms of the international challenges i'd probably put them in two buckets michael yep. one would be different types of global challenges. Uh, over a million Americans died because of a virus that broke out one way or another in a city in China, in Wuhan. Probably 20 million people have died worldwide. So there's that kind of a global challenge. There's climate change, which uh, is getting worse, and it's getting worse sooner. And it'll, it's already affecting our health, our, our livelihoods, uh, where we live, how we live. So I, I worry about the, these, these global issues. And then what you and I have been talking about for some time, often on the air, which is the, the return of geopolitics. Here we are three decades after the, uh, the end of the Cold War, when we, after which a lot of people predicted a, a great deal of harmony. We got rudely awakened from that with 9-11. But in, in addition to terrorism, which hasn't gone away, uh, I worry about you know, uh, Russia. Uh, this is a country where which still has the world's largest nuclear arsenal, and Vladimir Putin has essentially removed any institutional restraint in that country. He's deinstitutionalized Russia. That worries me. The possibility of a war one day between the United States and China obviously concerns me. What an Iran could do or North Korea. So I think we live in a really dangerous time where we've got, if you will, the traditional stuff of great power and medium power politics and geopolitics. Then we've also got this overlay of, of global challenges, and then it circles back to what you and I have talked about this time, which is America's domestic division. And it puts we're, we, we've put ourselves in a position where we're, we're less able to deal effectively with these external challenges, and that, that makes, to me, for a pretty toxic group. 
When you look at American political leadership right now, uh, not talking about one side or another, but is there an individual, a prominent individual on either party or of no party who is making the kind of sense that Americans should hear? I see people on both sides who I uh, admire. Uh, unfortunately, none of them's running for president right now. Uh, but on the Democratic side, I see two people in this administration I have tremendous respect for. I hope uh, by saying this, I don't hurt them. Uh, one is Gina Raimondo, the Secretary of Commerce. Another is Mitch Landro, the former mayor of, uh, of New Orleans, who's the infrastructure person. There. So it just doesn't just contain two what I would call centrist Democrats. They're, they're, there's others in and out of government. And then I look, I was just watching TV, TV, TV tape a few minutes actually before I went on, and I watched John Kasich. Uh, from Ohio talking, and I thought just made you know, great, great uh, uh, sense. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for Mitt Romney. I think there's people out there who are basically playing the game close, close to the center of the field, close to midfield, and they're, they're playing the game by the rules in a respectful way, which doesn't preclude finding some common ground with people on the other side of the field. And uh, in terms of the other side of the field, uh, what about this idea about new guarantees of nuclear protection, a nuclear umbrella for uh, our allies in the U uh, Middle East, which would at least conceivably, according to reports in the paper today, include both Saudi Arabia and Israel? Yeah, it's a big idea. Uh, the devil will be in the details. Will the, will the guarantees be universal? Uh, what kind of obligations would these countries or responsibilities they have to accept? Because I don't think we would necessarily make unconditional uh, guarantees. What would they be willing to do in return? What kind of restraints would they accept on their freedom of action? We don't want them to do things that would bring about the very situations we would like to avoid. So I'm not against it. Just me, the, the guy who's worked on such issues before, is is wary or uh, just want, I just want to work through all the conditions and understandings. I don't think we want to be in the business of, of extending unconditional uh, guarantees that no matter what happens or how it came about, we're going to be there, use an economic term that would introduce moral hazard. So I think these have got to be more conditioned guarantees. And speaking of condition guarantees, if uh, Ukraine ends up joining NATO, well, then they have that guarantee of Article 5. They are protected along with the other NATO states by a, a sense of mutual responsibility and uh, joint defense. But uh, what what is the best bet for actually ending the war? And that, this puts aside President Trump's secret plan for ending it in 24 hours. But uh, it, let's let's say we you, one aims at least on the possibility of ending the Ukraine war beneficially for the world, say by the end of 2024. Is that feasible, and how? It's feasible. It's a it's a long shot. It's a, but it's more feasible than ending it in 23. Look, it takes one side to begin a war, which is what happened this time. It takes both to end it. And that would mean that both Ukraine and Russia, both Zelensky and Putin, would have to be prepared to, 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 to settle 
uh, for less than they initially sought, uh, unless the battlefield gets transformed one way or the other. And at the moment, neither is prepared to uh, do that. And so I don't think the situation is ripe right now for a, a diplomatic settlement. This meeting that just took place in Saudi Arabia was many things, but it wasn't a serious peace conference. Uh, the leadership on both sides of, of this struggle would, will have to uh, evolve in their thinking about whether it's worth continuing the war. So what might what's probably unacceptable now, it's possible it could become acceptable down the road, particularly if China leaned on Putin, or if Ukraine came to the conclusion that trying to militarily liberate their land was not feasible anytime soon, and they were putting their country at risk by, by holding out. But I don't think either side, uh, I don't think Russia is ready to compromise. I don't know if you saw, Michael, the piece in the New York Times a few days ago by Roger Cohen. He spent four months in Russia and basically made the case that Putin is preparing his country for prolonged war, that they're, they're digging in not just on the battlefield, but they're digging in psychologically. So, uh, and culturally, it's terrifying. Some time to play up. Absolutely. It was a really, really worrisome piece about the long-term cultural, almost engineering we're seeing going on in that in that country. So I came away reading that, from reading that piece, even more concerned and somewhat more pessimistic about the, the diplomatic prospects. Uh, and in terms of uh, uh, diplomatic uh, prospects for um, uh, NATO and uh, con- continued strengthening of the yeah. alliance, uh, will that survive a, a perhaps brutal, bitter American election? I think there's concern in Europe about Mr. Trump because uh, he represents a departure from the post-World War II uh, norm, uh, consensus in this country. So there'll be a lot of anxious watching from across the uh, from across the Atlantic. I think if another Republican wins or Mr. Biden wins or another Democrat wins, I think Europe will will breathe, will breathe a sigh of relief. I think the one the one set of concerns is what happens if Donald Trump essentially has a second turn in the Oval Office. Uh, well, it's, again, who knows? With the uh, <laughs> I, there's a certain amount of betting now that neither Trump nor Biden will be on the final ballot, but we shall see. Uh, lots going on domestically and in foreign policy. Perspective on what you can do to make things better and to make the country greater found in the pages of the bill of obligations that's the new book by my guest richard haas the president emeritus of the council on foreign relations the subheading of uh, the book bill of obligations the ten habits of good citizens and you can do your part to continue to sustain this greatest nation on god's green earth